the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Greeting, everyone. This is Al Fadi. And I want to thank you, of course, as always, for uh, following us. Uh, you know, on our channels, myself and Dr. J. Smith, and also for watching this series. And I hope that you also not only enjoying it, benefiting from it, but uh, our hope is that you will be, um, you know, sharing it with other platforms, maybe even uh, sending it to uh, uh, some of your friends, uh, hopefully Muslim friends, uh, for the sake of opening the door for discussions and dialogue about such important issues when it comes to the historical criticism of early Islam. Uh, We've been talking about the problems with the place, and that's Mecca, and we have covered a number of issues uh, that are glaringly obvious that what the Quran says about a place, allegedly Mecca, because really Mecca was mentioned only one time in the Quran, but there are many other verses that somehow are implicit about this alleged place, Uh, What the Quran mentions does not really match up with what Mecca had or has today. With me here, of course, to continue uh, this discussion, as always, our dear friend, Dr. J. Smith. Dr. J., thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So we we talked about, you know, some of the uh, features, if you wish, the characteristics of Mecca according to the Quran. And we said, you know, like there is no stream. Water, uh, stream of water, uh, there are no olive trees, you know, and uh, the list can go on and on and on when it comes to really, if you look at what the Quran says and apply it to modern-day Mecca, uh, something is missing here. Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and this is an- another big problem that comes up is the geographical locations. We all, You know Dan Gibson, uh, you've met right. him, you've had him on your your show. Yeah, I know Dan Gibson. I've never had him on Fander Films yet, but we've talked, we've emailed each other. Gibson is interesting because he is kind of archaeologist, archaeologist, and where he's grown up in an archaeological family. His grandparent were archaeologists. His father was an archaeologist. He grew up with archaeological books. That was his favorite reading. And so for him, archaeology is sacrosanct, but more than that, it was also, he, he learned at a very young age that if you're going to talk about a historical event or a person or a place, you need to house it in that location. Location, 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 location. And uh, so he was troubled when he was reading the Quran. He was living in the Middle East back in the 1970s. About 1979, he started doing his research in the Middle East. He was working amongst the Bedouins, so he learned the language, he knew how to talk to them, and he was in location on that place. And as he was looking at the Quran, he kept on re- reference, if reading places and names, uh, 
uh, that were not only in the Quran, but also in the traditions that just made no sense. So he went to those places. He went to those names. And then he wrote a book called Quranic Geography in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, this be this one. It was not uh, an academic book. It was not academically written. It were really his field notes that he was taking on the field. Uh, it was at that time that he saw difficulties with the Qibla, and that's where he really got interested in the Qibla. So from uh, 1979 to around 2004, so we're talking about 25 years, he was there doing his research. He had lived in Jordan. Uh, he was actually did a book for the Jordanian government on tourism, and they wanted to talk. They wanted him to do a, a overview, uh, historical overview, archaeological overview of the Jordanian context, and that's where he came across the Nabataean, uh, the Nabataean kingdoms, and he noticed that the Nabataean kingdoms were referring to things and peoples uh, that were also referenced in the Quran that he, and, were, and also referenced in the Bible. Now, he knew that the biblical context and the biblical archaeology all made sense. Uh, he had studied biblical archaeology, saw it his father, and he realized that in Christianity, we've got to locate our places. We've got to locate our people. We've got to our, locate our, our, our events in a historical context that made sense. And it does. That's the beauty of the Bible. The right people at the right places doing the right thing at the right time. When he came to the Quran, because he was in Jordan, he was studying the Quran, he was looking at these places, he noticed that there was a real disconnect. These peoples and places and events just made no sense. Now, there was a whole litany of material that I could use. I remember when I was talking to him one time, he said, when you look at the Bible, take, take the, uh, the, 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 the author Luke. When you look at Luke's writing in the Gospel of Luke and also in the book of Acts, there's about 101 geographical locations that you find in Luke's writing. And when you look at Luke's writing, every event, every place that he talked about have been supported and solidified. No one doubts when he talked about a place, that place existed. When he talked about an event, that event happened. When he talked about a person, that person was actually there at that place doing those things at that time. That's why Luke is such a great treasure trove for us when it comes to geography. Go ahead. I was going to add, I mean, speaking of Luke, and the Book of Acts. I was in the island of Malta myself, and I was looking at a monument in the middle of the sea, and they told me that's the alleged shipwreck that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was in in Acts chapter 27. And when you go and read that chapter, it says that the winds and the waves were so strong, and you see in front of you that in that area, because of its location, that winds and waves are a little bit more uh, stronger than usual, because of the confines around it. But at the same time, at least we have a place that says that's where the incident happened, geographically speaking, archaeologically speaking. And it's been accepted like this throughout the history of Christianity. We don't find similar things like this in Mecca. Like you mentioned, the prophet will go passing by a uh, a pillar of salt. Where is that? Where is that pillar of salt? If it's referred to the Quran, it should be there today. There should be some yeah. some pillar there of salt that we can look at, but it just doesn't exist. Right. So he was looking at this, and he wrote this book called Quranic Geography. I'm going to go to the slide um, and just put it up there. Just look at the slide here, and I'm just going to zip it up there. When you look at the Quran, it has 65 geographical references, he said. So this is all Gibson's material. Uh, So I want to give credit to him because he has done the hard work. He's been there. He's actually physically been to these places. So that's why I want to give him credit for that because bless him that he has helped all of us. And so he says there are 65 geographical locations. 
Nine places are named, however. So many of the places are referred to over and over and over and over again. Especially the people that this prophet is having contact with. So he's having contact with a number of people. 23 times in the Quran, you have contact with these people from Ad. Ad is Uz in the Bible. So we know these people. Ad is Uz in the Bible. Well, let's look right up here. Where are are the people of Ud? Look right here where I'm pointing. See it? Right. These are the people of Ud. That's way up here near Petra. Here's Mecca way down here. That's six to seven hundred miles distance between these people right here. So 23 times he's having contact with people from Ud. I mean, if you're having daily, almost daily contact or weekly contact with people from Ud, how do you get up to 600 miles further north and then come back home again? And why would you do that, you know, on a daily basis? Maybe once in a while you're traveling and you came across them. Okay, I'll buy that. Okay, but that's hugely significant when you look at it on a map. And that's why Muslims haven't done this. And I didn't do this until Gibson told me to do that. And he said, look on a map, just put it on a map. Look at the distance we're talking about. Look at the other one, 24 times, so even more so than Ad or Uz as we know it, are the people of Thamud. Over and over and over again, he is having contact. He's dealing with these people from Thamud. We know them as Nabataeans. The Nabataeans, well, that's all up here as well. That is in Jordan today. The Nabataeans are well-known. In fact, uh, Gibson did a whole book on the Nabataeans. Hugely significant. They're well historically uh, solidified. And there is another thing, uh, uh, Dr. J. I mean, uh, in the Bible, let's use the Bible. If if the Bible, like for instance, the book of Ezekiel right now, I'm going through it, uh, we're preaching sermons from it. And, and from chapter one, it identifies where the exiles are at, you know, and the river uh, of Hibar, okay? Well, I had an Iraqi guy sitting in the sermon. I talked to him afterwards and he says, yeah, that river's still there. And that's what we call, how we call it. What I'm saying is, the Bible talks about things that people, the hearers, are going to connect the dots immediately. So if the people of Mecca were hearing something about, you know, Ad, Thamud, are they all going to connect the dots? Because maybe few of them know about this. Where, in fact, if they're living in that area, it will make sense why you're talking to them about something around them that they should learn from the mistakes that they made. There you go. Brilliant. Now, let's just go back to the map again. Let's look at the slide again. There's one other people, and that are the people of Midian. Seven times it refers to the people of Midian. Twenty-four times the people of Thamud. Twenty-three times the people of Ad, which suggests that these three, are, these three tribes are referred to more than any other tribe in the Quran, proving that they are very important, mm-hmm. proving that we must look at them. And nobody has bothered to look and see where they lived. No Muslim has done this, and I've never heard any Muslim ever come back to me on this. Gibson was the first to really do it. I don't know of anybody else that has asked this question. And that's why it was such a blowout in 2011 when he came out with his book, Quranic Geography. No one had thought to say, hold on a minute, put this on a map. Look on the map. There are 600 miles, folks. If he is having daily contact or weekly contact with these people from so far north, that means he's going to, how did he get there and back in one day unless he has a helicopter? There were no helicopters in the 7th century, thank you. So obviously there's a problem here. It looks like, geographically speaking, what the Quran is talking about, all these events with these people must have happened up here, not down there. In order to have this kind of contact, such a a numerous amount of contacts, it must have been way up north and not further south. Amen to that. And I uh, agree wholeheartedly because I remember when Gibson 
you know, basically was sitting behind me in 2011 at a conference uh, where he lives. And uh, he handed me a copy of this book. To be honest with you, when I looked at the title, I just didn't think much of it. All I said to myself, well, here's a guy who wants just to write about Islam. Okay, so what does it mean, the geography of the Quran? I was thinking as like, well, I mean, what's so significant about that? There is nothing in there of significant in the first place. But then I start to go through it. And like you said, it was an eye opener. It's like, whoa, I never thought about the location of Ad. I never thought about the location of the mood, Mediano, all these things. Until I started to go through and began to realize the importance of this. Okay, for those people who would like to read this yourself, you can just go up online, just Google chronic geography slash PDF, and you actually can bring it down. Now, they will ask you to pay $15. Please pay the $15 for Gibson. He needs the money. He hits, uh, listen, anybody that's done this kind of work should be paid. It's worth every, it's ap- every nickel page and, di- worth it. and dime. It's worth it. It. Absolutely. What we're going to do next now, we're going to look at the language. We're going to start and talk about linguistics. We've talked about geography. We've talked about what the tradition said and what the, what, uh, what the Quran says about Mecca. Now, let's look and see what was the language that was used there in Mecca. Wonderful. Thank you, as always, and thank you, everyone. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Hello, everyone. This is Al-Fadi, and I want to welcome you back uh, to a continuation of this series. Today, we are going to continue with our critical assessment of the standard Islamic narrative. And this time, of course, we are still talking about the place that's Mecca. And the focus of this episode has to do with the language of Mecca, the language of Mecca. We know that there is this claim that it's an Arabic language, but where can we trace this particular language to? Is it really the Mecca or the surrounding area, or does it come from a completely different geographical location? Mecca is in a region called Hejaz, by the way, just in case you are wondering. With me here, of course, as always, is Dr. J. Smith to continue with this unpacking of those kind of problems. So, Dr. J., what about the language of Mecca? Okay, so we've talked about the geography, now moving into linguistics. And, of course, we're talking about this book, the Quran itself. When you look at the Arabic, you can read the Arabic here, and you notice that the Arabic has certain things that are unique about it. There are many kinds of Arabic, just like there are many kinds of English or many kinds of Spanish. There are many ways to say words. There are many ways to write it differently, especially, especially if... When uh, in the seventh century, when there was no dots or vowels yet, we're going to get into that later in, in later episodes. There were not dots and vowels that early. There were only sixteen consonantal letters. So those sixteen consonantal letters would would have been very significant, especially if they are there today. If you look at them, you'll see them there today. Well, Al Jalad, and this is where Al Jalad has been really helpful. You know him. You've used him in your own research, uh, and then also Mark Dury. You know him personally. I know him personally. He's a good friend. Uh, he has written about this, that there are some problems when you look at the Arabic here in the Quran. Because the Arabic in this book does not come from Mecca and Medina. That's the problem. So let's look at the slide. Let's go to the slide and see what we find. And we're going to show a map. So here's the map. 
of Saudi Arabia. It's called Saudi Arabia today because that's the modern day. I'm using Google Maps. I'm using the modern name. Uh, the Quranic Arabic. This is the Qureshi. Remember, it was the Qureshi, the tribe that Muhammad right. came from. This is what the traditions tell us. He spoke the Qureshi Arabic when the, this book was finally written uh, back in 652 by uh, by Zaid ibn Thabit under the authority of Uthman. He said, write it in the Qureshi Arab uh, dialect. Explain that to people why that's important. Well, I mean, um, that, that is important for two reasons. Number one, number one uh, Muhammad came allegedly from a tribe known as Quraysh. And therefore, the claim here is that it was revealed to him in his own dialect, the Qurayshi dialect. So Uthman was saying, if you get into issues, because the Uthmanic collection, by the way, resulted from the fact that they were Arabs speaking different dialects fighting with each other. I mean, that tells you right there that there is a problem. But all that to say is that Uthman says, settle any differences if you have an issue by using the Qureshi dialect because it is the dialect of the prophet. But the second problem here is that we don't have evidence here that uh, the, the language uh, or, or everything else about the Quran actually is consistent with one specific dialect. We know that there are a number of dialects that have been canonized, if you wish. Yeah, we're going to get into the dialectical difficulties when we get to the Quran itself, so that's yet to come. But I, I just want to look at this, back at the slide again. Let's look at this map here again and consider, when you look at the map, according to what the standard Islamic narrative tells us, is this green area here, the, this green rectangular, that is where everything takes place. There is Medina, here is Mecca. It's within that western part of the central part of Arabia. So the Quran had to all been written here. The difficulty is... When you look at that uh, that rectangle, you'll see that there are there are problems. Jalad brings this up. Mark Dewey brings this up. And what does he tell us? Well, he he says when you look at the grammatical reference point or the grammatical material in the Quran, they are all from the red area. See where the red area is up that red rectangle? What specifically? Let me just give you some examples. Uh, um, Jalad and Mark Dury talk about the ihrab, the unstressed inflectional short vowels, which are marked with diacritics known as ihrab because they were characteristics of Bedouin dialects that are found much further right. north. That's, that's the Arab, basically, and that's what he's referring to. And a Jalad, of course, is an Arab. I mean, he knows that. Okay. The Tar Marbuta, that you find in the Quran. What is the Tar Marbuta? Help people understand what I that is. I mean, it's is. just what, what people see. And right there, you know, before the brackets, right there, it's like a can you a see it right there circle point? with two dots above it. Yeah. You yeah. can see it right there before you get to the word Tarmat. But that's the Tarmat that's at the end of the word. And what does it do to the word? Well, it sounds like a ha, you know, but it's kind of like it, it ends. Like when you say Jannah, you know, Jannatun, that's the Tamarbuta. Okay. You know, Imra'atun, you know, uh, meaning a woman, that's a Tamarbuta. Circle with two dots, but it put yeah. the T sound in there. Right. Okay, right. so that yeah. is in the Quran. That's right through the Arabics in the Quran. But that comes from way up here, way up in the north. That was unique to that part. The Alif Maksura, there you can see a picture of it. It looks like, a, like an S, a small S. That's also at the end. The word final address, Yah. So that is from the Nabataeans. This is the Nabataeans up here. This is Nabataean Petraea. This is way up in Jordan, about 600 miles further north. That's where you find the Aleph Maksura. Do you want to say anything about the Aleph Maksura? I would just say the sound of it, like when you hear Muslims say, uh, talk about Allah and say, Subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's Allah, ah, 
this is the alif maksura basically at the end. And then I'm going to give yeah. you a fourth one that they point to, and that is the definite article. Oh, what is the definite article? I think I, I mean it's like yeah, I mean it's like in English the here alif lam a l. This is why, by the way, my name is Abdul Fadi Al Fadi, meaning the Redeemer, the Savior. People think like my name is Al. Fadi. It's not, you know, but uh, anyway, but if, if you say Al-Fadi together, that's the Redeemer because the A-L is the definite article. Well, you're being pretty proud. That means you are the Redeemer, not Christ I am alone. the Redeemer. I have Masters of Divinity, so you can call me Divine Master also. <laughs> there you go. You got the package. We're going to have a hard time getting you out of the studio with the head you're getting right now. So there is the definite article. It all is from the North. That's why I want people to see. It's in that red area where these are unique to that nowhere else. Now, the Arabic that was spoken in the Hijaz, where the Quran supposedly was created, is this Arabic, which is the big square that you see here, the big red square. That is known as Sabaic. That was yeah, from the from Sabaeans. Saba, you know, and uh, that's the kingdom of Saba, by the way, which is associated with Queen of Sheba. Sheba, yeah. right. Which is way down south here in what is today Yemen uh, in Sana. That, see where I'm pointing down here? That is where the Sabaeans are. That is where the Arabic comes from that would have been used up here in the Hijaz. The Sabaic Arabic does not have the Ihrab, does not have the Tarmarbuta, does not have the Alav Maksura, does not have the definite article. That you will not find in Sabaic Arabic. And let's say why this is important. Folks, why is uh, Dr. Uh, J bringing this up? If the Quran originated from Mecca, why in the world it is going to be written in a language that has nothing to do with the area. That's the, that's the question we're asking. Why do I bring this up? How often do our Muslim friends tell us, oh, Jesus speak Aramaic, you know, why is it written in Greek? They have a problem with that. Well, okay, well, explain the, to me this problem then. Now, this is a huge problem because every Muslim everywhere, doesn't matter whether they are radical or nominable or liberal, they all suggest, they all have to say that this is from the place that Muhammad lived. This is from yeah. Mecca itself. This is the Quraishi dialect. No, 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 no. This is not Quraishi. This is not a, a Sabaic. This is Nabataean Arabic. This is a much further northern Arabic. And, and back in those days, it was even more pronounced because you didn't have that much contact between the south and the north like you do today. So what's even more interesting, and this is what, what I think is, when you look at the Nabataean Aramaic, that is, and we call it a Nabataean Aramaic. We're going to talk about the Aramaic coming up uh, uh, later on when we get to the Quran. But the Nabataean Aramaic existed 600 miles further north, way up here. While the 7th century Arabic of Mecca, if there was any Quran written in the 7th century here in Mecca or uh, in Medina, because those are the two cities that the Quran was supposedly written, both Mecca and Medina, it would have used the Sabaic from here. Uh, and which, here's what's fascinating to me. The Sabaic Arabic did have dots and vowels. Darakat. Which is going to have a huge impact when we get to the Kira'ats and the Ahruf. That's yet to come. That's another problem. Because the whole problem with Kira'ats and Ahruf, uh, the whole difficulty is that the Arabic that existed at the time of Muhammad didn't have any dots and vowels. Therefore, they needed to create dots and vowels. And that's why you have such a multiplicity of different Kira'ats, different Qurans. That's yet to come. Had it been written... In, uh, in Mecca and Medina, had the Quran really been written that, written that far south, there were already dots and vows. None of this would have been a problem. There would be no such problem with Kira'ats or Ahruf 
had it been written in Sabaic Arabic. Right. And without jumping the gun, you know, and talking about the Qur'at, all I want to say, so far, so far, Dr. J, we've proved uh, a very important, uh, you know, aspect uh, about Islam, and now we're talking about the book itself. Everything that leads to its history comes from a different geographical area. Let's just put it this way. From much further north. Right. Look at the map again. This is north. This is south. Right. Now we're going to go to another problem. And this is actually a funny kind of problem. And that is, what about the prophets? Where were the prophets buried, according to the traditions, according to the standard Islamic narrative? Let's see what the standard Islamic narrative tells us about where these, how many of them to begin with. But look at the names when we get there. This is going to be fun. The next one. Absolutely. And it's going to be fun because, to be honest, if all of these prophets that we're going to talk about existed in where the standard Islamic narrative says, and then how in the world, you know, we find Muslims that don't even have a clue that these prophets actually in that geographical area. So until next time, um, have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.